Hey everybody, it's Sean Harwell. You are listening once again to the Never Heard of a Podcast. Thanks for joining us, coming back. We are the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through the cracks. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Damn it. Uh, I don't know why I'm so emphatic about that, but that's, I mean, that's just what we do. I'm joined once again by the Smith to my Wesson, Craig Moorhead. Say hello, Craig. Hi, everybody. I'm here. Sean, you're here. How are you? I'm good. Did, did Smith and Wesson, did they have first names? Do they matter? No. Actually, it was one guy whose name was Smith and Wesson. <laughs> okay. And over time, there's wow. a lot of uh, bad reporting on that couple. Well, it, it figures prominently in, the, in this movie we're going to talk about today, but I wouldn't be much of a host, or a co-host, if you will. Mm. No. I didn't tell people to go check out our website, neverheardpodcast.com. You probably already have, and I'm just yeah. preaching to the choir here. That's fine, too, but if you haven't, welcome. Go check it out. You can find all the back episodes. You can look at posters from around the world for some of these movies, and you can find links to social media. You can find links to email us and make a suggestion. I'm picking the movies for June. We're wrapping up Craig's Mother's Day month today, but uh, always happy to have suggestions anytime, so send them in. We'll check them out. Please do. Hey, Craig. Hey, Let's talk about what else you watched. I know you watched something this week. It's been two weeks. Yeah. You're not just sitting around, like, staring at the wall, watching the no. wallpaper change colors. That'd be weird. No. You would think I was. Yeah. You're not just parenting 24-7. That'd be weird. I'm parenting barely at all. <laughs> exactly. So what else have you watched? Here's what I watched. I watched the movie Bad Moms. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll let that go. And okay. then... But I also watched a movie written by our our best friend of the podcast, Joe Ganjemi. No, you didn't. Gen- what did you watch? I did. Stonehurst Asylum. No kidding. I haven't seen that yet. How was it? That movie is so up my alley that I feel like I don't really know how to like judge it in a way. Mm-hmm. It's Taylor written for me. <laughs> not just by Joe, but by... Was it uh, Edgar Allan Poe? Um, I'm not Edgar sure. Edgar Allan Poe's, I believe. Really? No kidding. Anyway... I should research that, yeah. This is a movie podcast. We're not gonna, we don't have all the answers. But I love it. I, I feel like there's it's probably something that someone else will like watch ten minutes of and say, Oh, I know what's happening. Yeah. Because they don't they just they can't get invested in, in a story like that, but man. So it, it's basically about this doctor shows up at an asylum and clearly something is off, but he's not quite sure what it is. And when you go to an insane asylum, and we're talking about turn-of-the-century insane asylums. Those are the best. You know, there's all kinds of cool stuff going on. Yeah. And by that, I mean, like, rights abuses and horrible things. So, perfect stuff for a creepy movie. This is directed by Brad Anderson, who did... Uh, well, he did The Machinist. There you go. Yeah. Which was real good. But he also did Session 9, which if you, oh, if right. you like spooky, creepy stuff, man, that's some good stuff. But yeah, Stoner's Asylum, I liked a lot. And he just came out of the movie Beirut this, this year with John Hamm. Ah, okay. Anywho, Joe did some great writing. I fully uh, 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 endorse it. I believe it's on Netflix if anybody wants to check it out. Well, I'll have to do that. And Sean. Yeah. What have you watched? It? Uh, that's it? That's all you fit in? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we, we watched Black Panther again. Oh, okay. I liked it again. Yeah. Bad Moms, I, I, I sh- probably should say... I, I, I love the cast of this movie. I felt like I was just teed up to just have a great time and think it was really funny. There's something very big missing in this movie. Hmm. It's kind of good to watch for that reason if, I don't know, if you're of the same mind of me, as me, I guess. 
There's definitely funny stuff, but there's so much more stuff that should have been funny, but it just felt like it wasn't invested in anything real. Yeah. And man, it's it's I don't know something to check out if you're if you're writing comedies or thinking about comedy and thinking about it, uh, rooting everything in a real place and and how that works. Anyway, cool. Yeah, and to all the moms listening right now, please uh, send your hate mail to Craig Moorhead, <laughs> P.O. Box. Yeah. Uh, 1366 no you know i haven't seen it obviously there's a sequel and i feel like there's a lot of movies of that ilk right now and clearly some are probably better than the others you know that happens it doesn't craig i saw a bunch of different stuff and i'll just rattle through i watched uh well rewatched escape from new york it's been a while since i've seen carpenter classic yeah what a great setup Mm -hmm. i mean that's just uh that's a solid setup that's a good way to put it into a movie i went to the theater my local art house here and saw a movie called you were never really here oh yeah you know about that i feel like this nobody's talking about this movie i don't know i mean that's the joaquin phoenix movie right yeah yeah and you know he's picky as hell so you know he figures he makes a movie it's, it's something that people will talk about uh it's lynn ramsey who did right was that we need to talk about kevin i think was the name of that movie i think maybe so. yeah i don't know I, I wasn't familiar with her stuff but yeah she's she's notable in that in that scene and he's very very intense in this movie it's a very dark movie about a man who is uh, basically working to get girls out of sex trafficking kidnapping situations and his weapon of choice is a ball peen hammer if that gives you any idea now, it takes that, but it puts it through a very sort of indie drama filter. Sure. It's got a score by Johnny Greenwood, which was another reason why I wanted to see it oh. and why I thought, yeah, you'd hear more talk about it. It's a really good score. I liked it a lot. I've listened to it since I watched the movie, and it's it's very electronic, which is quite different than, obviously, the stuff he's done with Paul Thomas Anderson. So, yeah, yeah. When, that, when that shows up on video, it's worth checking out. Would recommend it. Two other little documentary things. I watched Evil Genius, the movie on Netflix. Well, it's not a movie. It's like a mini-series, basically, a mini-documentary series, four episodes, about the collar bomb heist in Pennsylvania where you may remember a pizza delivery man robbed a bank, and it went downhill from there. Mm -hmm. Movie 30 Minutes or Less took some inspiration from that, although the true story is much, much, much different. And, yeah, really, really interesting. Have you watched that at all or heard anything about that, Craig? I have not. I've, I've heard a lot about it, actually. Check it out. Because it's it's one of these things where, and my wife talked about this a lot in regards to podcasts. You know, there's always true crime podcasts right now, obviously. And mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's moments in this where I feel like the narrator gets in the way. Like they insert themselves into this story. And, you know, nothing against it. It's interesting, their involvement. But I don't know. It just changes things. It, yeah. It's worth a watch regardless. It was It's a pretty fascinating story. I watched the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I mean, they've got great interviews, and you know, it's, it's a pretty fascinating life he lived. And last but not least, I watched High Noon for the first time, the Fred Zimmerman, Zinnemann, excuse me, Western. I love that movie. Holy cow, that's foundational. to That's like what I came away from watching this. Like every scene, I'm like, I, this influenced so many other things that I've seen. I can just tell right yeah. off the bat. Oh, yeah. And we talk about this a lot, but like a lot of movies from that era, and even thinking about like Johnny Guitar, which I think that inspired me to watch this. Like, this is just not one of those movies where you're ever thinking, oh, this narrative is kind of hitting the brakes, you know? It, it, yeah. it Like, they just managed to ramp the stakes like all the time. It, it just flows so well. It's 
you got to see it. If you haven't watched High Noon and you're a fan of, of Westerns at all, you have got to see this movie. Absolutely. That's a good uh, run of movies there, uh, Sean. It's funny because last time we talked, I, I said my movie goals were to watch It and Black Panther, and I did neither of those things. <laughs> so, uh, they will continue to be my goals for the next two weeks. So there Fair you have enough. it. Craig, let's talk Blue Steel. Let's talk about it. Would you want to become a cop? I like to slam people's heads up against walls. Jamie Lee Curtis is a cop yes. with a problem. Drop it! On the floor! Put the gun down now! 24 hours on the force and she's already blown some poor slob's face off. No gun found at the scene, officer. Turning nothing on the victim. The men on the force won't believe her. It was there. I saw it. The man at her side can't help her. I think somebody out there likes you. And the man in her arms is the killer. We have to stop him. Damn. It's the greatest kick of all. Blue Steel, a point-blank thriller. If you missed the tee-up episode, shame on you. I'll fill you in briefly. It's 1989. You got Catherine Bigelow behind the wheel directing. She also co-wrote with Eric Redd. And this is the story of a female rookie in the police force who must engage in a cat-and-mouse game with a pistol-wielding psychopath who becomes obsessed with her. The cop in this instance is played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Obviously, everybody loves Jamie Lee Curtis. How can you not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the psychopath is played by Ron Silver. You also got Clancy Brown, Elizabeth Pena, uh, Richard Jenkins of note, and Kevin Dunn, who I liked as well. Philip Bosco, uh, he plays Jamie Lee's father, and also Louise Fletcher from Cuckoo's Nest plays her mother in this movie. Craig, yeah, you suggested this. You've watched it before. You watched it again, I assume. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. how did how it play for you this time? It played great. Uh, I remember, I, I mean, I watched it, I think, the first time shortly after it came out, I guess, on home video because I just I had heard that it was good mm -hmm. maybe I had even like read that Roger Ebert review that mentioned Halloween and that was kind of what kind of got me into it yeah but I remember I, I remember having watched it then like just thinking it was fantastic and this time watching it what kind of st struck me was I guess how small a movie it is yeah I, I guess the thing the thing I was thinking about is man how do I say this well, I'll say it, and I'll say it wrong, and then everyone can correct me. Well, that's the only way to say it, yeah. It's the only way to say it. <laughs> like, I guess if this was a movie coming out right now, nine times out of ten, it would have much more dense storytelling. Yeah. You'd get a lot more into the machinations of how things work in the city and why it doesn't work well. It would be like a two-hour, 15-minute movie. On one hand, it felt kind of slight uh -huh. uh, this time. It felt a lot more lightweight than I remember it feeling, but at the same time, like once I got to the end, I was pretty much completely happy, even with some kind of sort of maybe bizarre choices that happened like toward, right at the end, which we can get into later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it's 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 all about Jamie Lee Curtis's character. It's another one kind of like Johnny Guitar, where it feels like, like this genre has been flipped on its head a little bit because mm -hmm. somebody was like... Well, what if a woman went through this? And it's not just a woman character that could have been played by a guy. Right. That they just gave a different name. You know, like it's it's clearly a movie about being a woman in this circumstance. So I enjoyed it a lot. What, what do you think, Sean? 
I thought it was really interesting and I thought it was good and I enjoyed it. I definitely think, yeah, there's some there's some choices they take with the story that I had questions about and I think there are moments that feel slightly repetitive, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. when you're talking about the movie feeling a little slight. Yeah, that's a fair criticism. And for me, it, it's probably just because, yeah, when like when you get into the middle section of this movie, uh, you're kind of hitting similar beats. And because of those beats where it is involving, you know, a man basically stalking a woman, I did find myself a little bit going, it feels like they should be expecting <laughs> this to happen again because it's, it's happened a few times now. And, yeah. you know, they're escalating a little bit, but I, it just like the level of preparedness to prevent these things, you know, were maybe making me ask questions. And and some of that, I think my other thing with, with this movie was just like observing it in a 2018 mindset versus 1990. And I said 89, that's because IMDb has it in parentheses, but the movie came out in 1990. You know that because we listened to the tee up, right? Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, this movie, it does sort of like subvert the genre. And especially I was thinking about, I mean, this is, Right around the time, if I'm not crazy, where you got single white female, hand that rocks the cradle, I was thinking of all the fatal attraction, uh, basic mm-hmm. instinct, where you got the psycho, there's like a psycho woman. You know? Right. This is not that. I mean, it is, no. uh, Ron Silver is very, very dangerous and very crazy in this movie and extremely intense. Watching this, yeah, in 2018, there are moments where I'm just like, oh, holy shit, like if... If you're listening to this and you've been abused, don't watch this movie. Um, Definitely not without like a therapist on the line because it goes there by the end of this, you know, and one scene in particular, which we'll get to. But it had those moments. It looks incredible, just like you said. You know, it has such a good look to it. There's a really cool style to this movie. And I think it was the Entertainment Weekly, the other review that we talked about last time. Absolutely, you could see that Catherine Bigelow knows what the hell she's doing in this movie. But yeah, I don't think the script is quite there to really kind of make this something that millions of people are going to remember and talk about and hold in the same breath, you know, or in the same category as something maybe like Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct, even though I haven't watched those in a long time to really see how those compare, like looking at it from a different mindset and uh, especially culturally kind of where things are right now. But, uh, Indeed. you know, Jamie Lee's great. Totally. I think the whole cast is, is really pretty good. I just think, yeah, there were some choices where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm 100% believing this. And we'll get to that. Right. What's... As far as on like the Catherine Bigelow scale, because obviously most recently she's done some things that are very, very different from this. And I haven't seen Detroit yet, but mm-hmm. Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, completely a different world from like this or Point Break or even Strange Days and things like that. Do you have a preference as far as like uh, your Bigelows go? <laughs> I have I have three top Bigelows. Okay, let's do it. Although I think all of hers are, are each one seems to have something special. I haven't seen every single one of them yet. But my three top bigs are Near Dark, Point Break, and Strange Days. Okay. Like those would be the ones I'd go at no matter what. Right. Uh, what about you? 
I think mine would definitely include Point Break and Zero Dark Thirty. I really loved that movie. I don't know. I know like everybody. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, if you're into the procedural thing at all, which I am for sure. I and mean, I liked Hurt Locker a lot too. Uh, those kind of movies really satisfy that itch in a lot of ways for me. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen Near Dark, but it's been a long, long time. Same with Strange Days, but definitely Point Break and, and the Zero Dark Thirty are kind of mindless. And those are those are very, very different. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like in some ways this movie, it is kind of like a bridge movie for her in, in a way, right? Because it's still yeah. genre, but it's not, you know, there's not vampires and uh, it's not sci-fi. It's not... Right. Although there's action and there's cops, it's definitely not point break either, you know? Right. I mean, I, I assume it was something that had a budget of a certain type where it was like, well, what we can do is we can do a thriller. Mm-hmm. So, you know, play to a, a slightly wider audience than vampires yeah. and, and biker gangs. But you can still kind of do your own thing. Can't be like kind of the, the blowout that, uh, that point break would end up being. And actually, to that point, I think this budget definitely is small, and I think she did a great job with that, and it's a really good movie to look at for utilizing a budget. And just, yeah. I mean, when you talked about like the look of the film and like the shallow depth of field, how many times are they in cars in this movie, and you never see the background? You know, it's like they use yeah. rain, and they use that, that shallow depth of field to just stay within the car, and yet you feel... It never felt cheesy. It never felt cheap. Right. You see enough of New York to get a sense of the city, but it's not like wide, <laughs> you know, yeah. like scopes of New York. I can't tell you exactly where this is set within New York. You know, there's not like huge landmarks, even though there is some helicopter stuff done. And yeah. the same with like all the police stuff, you know, uh, you get a sense of the force that she works for and the department that she works for. But it is it's somewhat small. There's some really economical good work here as far as like all that stuff, you know, and again, just like a testament to her skill behind the camera. Absolutely. It, it is kind of that way of, of making a movie feel bigger than it is without resorting to just, you know, flailing your arms around and stuff. Well, let's talk story then. Really cool opening. You know, you, you sort of lead with dialogue. You get the pre-lap a little bit over the credits and it sounds like someone is in danger. Like there's a struggle going on between a man and a woman. And then you come into the scene and there's Jamie Lee, and you find this is actually just a tr- police training session. Made me think a little bit of Silence of the Lambs, although I think, that, yeah, this was like a year ahead of that, if I'm not mistaken, if I have my dates wrong. But yeah. Clarice kind of going through that. And then, uh, as I alluded to with the Smith & Wesson thing, uh, the actual title credits are like just massively stylistic, extreme close-ups of a gun and like bullets yeah. being loaded in the chamber. I thought it was really cool. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. I don't want to like fetishize the things any more than they are already fetishized, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was kind of sexy. It was like gun porn in that sequence, you know? A little bit. Which, I mean, that actually kind of comes up in the plot later on with Ron Silver's character. So it is, you know, it's not out of nowhere. Yeah. After this, we're kind of cutting into she's graduating from the police academy. Again, it's, it's extremely stylistic. There's a lot of different angles going on. There's some parallel action of her just like getting ready and dressed, and then the actual ceremony itself, where they're you know they're stating their pledge. Let me ask you this: There's a shot of Jamie Lee in that moment where I I genuinely could not tell if she had tears in her eyes. Or if it was, like if it was just that sharp and glassy looking, if they were doing something with the lighting that it just looked uh, that way. Did you notice that? I did actually, and I honestly I just assumed there were tears in her eyes because she 
Yeah. We were just saying like she had worked, this is what she always wanted to be. And right. You know, it's her dream coming true, basically. That's a good point, though. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, heavy handed for sure. Well, that's what I was going to say. If that is that, I mean, that's some good acting right there because, or whatever, like the the drops of visine that they put in there because it it never trickles down her face. It just hangs there over her eyes. It was really, it was really kind of cool. It looks, yeah, it looks so good. Her friend Tracy, played by Elizabeth Pena, is there. Tracy's kids. I don't know. There, there's some other people there for her, I think. But the people who aren't there are her parents, right? And right. then it's not long after that where she visits them and they're having dinner. And this is, again, Louise Fletcher and Philip Bosco. Yep. You very quickly get the sense that the dad does not approve of the fact that his daughter is a cop. Yeah. I thought that that's a pretty interesting detail because I mean, I mean, I wrote down, I was like, what the, well, like, what does he have against cops? Like, I can't imagine. Right. Uh, because I was like, was he like a mafia guy? Like, what's going on right, here? Like, exactly. it was such a, a thing you don't expect from a parent, you know? Yeah. It seems like any parent would be proud. I mean, possibly worried. Yeah. About their safety, but yeah, exactly. Like not disappointed in them for becoming a cop. Now, I am kind of curious. Did you remember when you were rewatching this, why exactly he didn't like cops when you saw I, this again? I got to tell you, right right the second, I, I can't remember at all. What, what, what was it? Well, it's because he's beating his wife. I mean, he's been a, a Oh, and physically... that's it. He doesn't want... Yes. <sighs> but, and I, I think... Again, it's so like subtly put out there. I mean, not his statement, but just the concept that there's something else going on right. with this family. And we don't really go back to them for a while. And in fact, they're a very small part of this movie, I would say, on the whole. Yeah. It's a nice layer for something like this that is like so like committed to this like thriller genre. And again, like we're talking about like it seeming a little bit slight and it, it really is Jamie Lee's movie and this guy mm-hmm. and the shit that she goes through. But it was those nice little moments where I think like, yeah, you're seeing like, okay, well, what's Bigelow going to do when she gets something that's like really juicy and like really dives into this stuff and it's just like, you know, dramatically driven as opposed to mm-hmm. maybe genre driven. The big set piece that happens that kind of kicks off this movie entirely is she's out on the job. I think, what, this is, is it her first night out when she's out with her partner? They stop at a coffee shop so he can go take a piss. Jamie Lee's buying coffee, and she looks over across the street into a grocery store. And uh, what did you call him, prenatal Michael Madsen? (laughs) Uh, prenatal uh, Tom Sizemore Sizemore I always get those yeah. I know I'm not the only person who gets them confused but yeah it was Tom Sizemore you're absolutely <laughs> right and uh, he's holding up the grocery store what are your thoughts on that sequence as a whole I have like mixed thoughts on it but I'm kind of curious like what you what you think of it watching it for the second time because I feel like my opinion would change with a rewatch I mean it's kind of it's kind of a funny setup in a way if it, if it was a if it was a lesser movie overall you would groan at this setup. Because of the coincidental nature of her looking across the street or what? Yeah, okay. I mean, there, there's there's so much coincidence happening. Yeah. It's her first night on the beat. You know, she, she just made a joke a second ago about how she just like she just wants to shoot people. Right, yeah. But that's funny because that's the last thing she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, she looks across the street and who's there but a guy who is in front of a gigantic plate glass window with a huge gun. Yeah. Like sticking up a play, you know, so, it, so yeah, so there's like a lot of sort of coincidence going on, mm-hmm. 
But honestly, it's I feel like it's played so well. And the movie itself, how do you say this? I mean, just kind of the 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 texture, the look of the physical film yeah. to me puts me in a different it's in a different world in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and again, it's it's Jamie Lee. It's it's a uh, oh god, what was her name in the movie? Megan Turner. Megan, yeah. So it's Megan's movie, right? So, yeah. you know, this is all about the the test she's going to go through. So yeah, and then and so she runs over there, and she actually requests backup, doesn't she? She does, yes. But she's got to get over there fast. Goes over and and I mean, I mean, blows Tom Sizemore <laughs> away. Yeah, through the glass through, window. Through yeah. a window. Yeah. Again, something where today that would have been, it, it would just be uh, pop, 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 and it would be very realistic about how he got shot. Oh, 100. I, I think Catherine Bigelow herself would direct that scene absolutely a thousand times differently today if she did yeah. it, you know? Yeah. But I will say this I think Jamie Lee kills it in that whole sequence. I think sure. there's some excellent little details in it, too. You know, before she leaves that coffee shop, she does. They make sure that you get a shot of her glancing to the bathroom to consider whether or not she even takes the time to tell her partner that this is going down and running across the street. And she doesn't. And like that, it's not a throwaway because that like sort of rears its head again and again, I think, in this movie as far as like the way she she takes action. And it sort of comes back to haunt her a little bit. But then she creeps in the back of this grocery store yeah, it takes its time. And and um, to me, I'm sitting there going, I don't think Tom Sizemore would wait this long. <laughs> you know, if, like, if he's robbing yeah. this place. And like the kid, the cashier, the young teenage cashier, or looks teenager, uh, you know, he's taking forever and all these things. And it, it's really done just to, to like make movie time. But sure. the bonus of that then is, I mean, I really felt like Megan's nervous. This is her first mm-hmm. night on the job. She's thrust into a situation where she does not know what to do. She doesn't know what's right. And yet she does not back down. And like when the moment comes, she does kind of like exactly what she's trained to do, right? You know, she says, yeah. freeze, drop the weapon. They have their exchange. And when Sizemore points the gun at her, she blows him away. And I don't know, like it just to me, I felt like that's a, that's a damn good inciting incident. And I felt the conflict that she then felt having gone through that, right? Yeah. The problem for me with the whole thing then is like it's shot so well and so stylistically and it builds and it takes its time. And you get the old lady who's had to drop on the floor. You know, she's there and her curlers in her bathrobe. And you get Ron Silver who's on the floor. And we've seen him a little bit walking through the store. You know, there's enough to know that like this guy is going to be somebody in this movie, right? And what happens is he takes the gun that Tom Sizemore drops. And that's a really interesting thing for a character to do, right? Who's just witnessed a murder. Why would you take the murder weapon? Great wrinkle. But because of the way this thing is shot and because of what follows, like to me, it's still just kind of hard to hold up because what follows then is Jamie Lee Curtis is immediately reprimanded by Clancy Brown and Kevin Dunn, her superiors, right? I'm just saying, well, let now, wait a second, like, she, like, we've seen this thing in great detail, and we know she did the exact right thing. And they have yeah. to, like, have these little expository moments where it's like, the cashier said it was a gun, but then somebody was like, are you sure it was a gun? You sure it wasn't a knife? And he couldn't say yes or no. And I was like, no, dude. The cashier saw very clearly there was a gun pointed at him, and they sort of, like, yeah. 
talk it away as this like, well, he was traumatized. Like he doesn't know what to say. He's shell shocked by the whole thing. Well, didn't the old lady, like, didn't they question her? Yeah. And did Ron Silver get out of there without being questioned? Like, what did he say? Like, you know, I mean, I, I get that he could still, you know, take the gun and not come forward with that. But like the whole movie hinges on the fact that Jamie Lewis killed this guy and there's really no concrete evidence that Tom Sizemore had a gun and pointed it at her. Right. And yet, I don't know. Like, it's just it's just hard to sit here and believe that that could be the case. You know, I kept thinking, was like, well, didn't they have, like, security footage? <laughs> Which, right. maybe they wouldn't in 1990. Maybe they wouldn't. But, like, surely someone would back her up. And, like, do they really believe that a cop, like, wouldn't they support her belief that this guy pulled a gun, you know? Um, right. It, it was a little tough for me to, to bite off all of that. Well, maybe let's let's dig into that a little bit because a part of me here is is wondering. I mean, this is a movie about this woman is going to be terrorized by this guy with a gun. Yes, that he stole from this scene. Mm-hmm. What is the point of having her sort of persecuted? Yeah, on the force, and I feel like a part of that is here's what it's like to be a rookie lady cop where she is just being just railroaded. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if it's ever explicitly said, but like, you know, that it, it seems like people are just trying to push her off the floor. Like this would not be necessarily happening if this was a dude. Yes. You know what I mean? I think that is true. Yeah. However, I didn't I didn't feel that from like Clancy no. Brown and Kevin, like not entirely from Kevin Dunn either. Right. And her partner who was in the bathroom or whatever. He does show up at the end, but he completely drops out of the rest of the movie, unless I'm mistaken, yeah. right? Like, you never yeah. hear from that guy again. And I'm surprised. Yeah. I kept waiting for his testimony because he was going to have to say, well, she made this joke about wanting to shoot people. Yeah. And I felt like that's what was going to kind of be tipping things in there in that direction. Because you're absolutely right. It mm-hmm. seems ridiculous. Yeah. That not a single person involved in that scenario was going to say, oh, yeah, he had a gun. I can get like the psychological thing where maybe the person having the gun pointed at them, like their mind just went black. Yeah. Sure. But but still, like as viewers, like we saw that gigantic cannon. How is it possible in this world that that somebody's going to be saying, how do you even know? No one said he had a gun. Right. Especially concerning the fact that she saw this happening across the street. Mm-hmm. Like no one on the street saw this happen, or the uh, the vendor in the coffee shop, right? He probably sure. looked over when she took off running after she spilled coffee on him. Right. I think a little change in the staging of it could have helped because my impression of this was that the old lady and Ron Silver are in line behind, right. more or less behind Tom Sizemore at the cash register. And Jamie Lee comes down the exact same aisle, basically. Like, she's at one end of the grocery store. They're at the front. And it's not a very big, wide grocery store. And there's no reason to think that she did not have view of the old lady and Ron Silver on the floor, right? Right. So we had to imagine that she shot Tom Sizemore. And then somehow Ron Silver just got up and walked away. And, like, she doesn't. Did she ever make mention of the fact, well, there was a guy and an old lady on the ground right in front of me to the cop, to her superiors? I don't remember if they did. But like, I, I don't remember that either, but that seems like standard cop stuff. Yeah, but even if, if like Ron Silver had been behind 
the adjacent cash register, right? Like the next lane over. As long as I believe that Jamie Lee Curtis didn't see him, like the rest of the movie works, I think, in some weird way. Sure. You know, because she's going to interact with him, you know, in the next 10 minutes and not recognize him. And so that's another thing that I think is is just makes it a little difficult, you know. I don't think it would change things necessarily because clearly this guy is going after her. It's not vice versa. So right. I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's it's a movie moment. It didn't completely take me out of the movie at all. Uh, I certainly still enjoyed it, but it, it does raise those questions, you know. It's it's just not it's not done for realism at all, you know. Right. Style over that. For sure. Well, yeah, certainly. Again, today probably would be shot in a way where, like, you would have you would totally buy it. Yeah. You know, to maybe even to the point where she's not sure if he had a gun. Right. You know. Yeah, which would be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me was wondering, it's like, oh shit, is this gonna be one of these movies where she starts to wonder if she's crazy and just like imagine all this stuff? And it's not, thankfully. I think. No. You know, she never wavers in you know what she knows happened and what didn't happen. Yeah. You are God, Eugene. Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings? You are not alone, Eugene. So, anyway, the movie continues, obviously, because that's what you do. And, you know, we get a little bit of Ron Silver by himself. We see that he's a Wall Street trader, which, of course, like, yeah, you, you know, that's that's a hot commodity at this time. I think absolutely. Yeah, I certainly thought of American Psycho while watching this, which I think I looked up and I think that book came out in 91, if I'm not mistaken. So also right mm-hmm. around the time there is, I guess that would be like a, a backyard barbecue at Tracy's place. And she invites Jamie Lee over, and Jamie mm-hmm. Lee's been reprimanded. You know, she's, I, I think, basically been given time off. Like, that was the takeaway from her meeting with her superiors, is that she's suspended for a, a brief amount yeah. of time. So she's down in the dumps. Tracy's a friend. You know, she wants to know that she's doing okay, and is she seeing anyone? And uh, <laughs> I, I did kind of laugh, like, they're having this conversation, and they're, like, like on the patio in the backyard, right? And she's like, are you seeing anyone? She's like, look, I got someone that you need to meet he's like oh, you know this is him and hall like we've seen that scene before and so i just thought like oh, okay she's gonna set him up with somebody it's like no mm-hmm. that dude is two feet away <laughs> she's like here's howard he's like right over here and he comes i was just like what was he doing was he just like listening like to the whole conversation <laughs> he's always waiting to be introduced to elizabeth Pena's friends immediately i was just like oh this dude is no good like he's like oh an accountant he seems kind of friendly and as soon as he finds out that she's a cop, like he's immediately like sexist about it and everything. I was just like, oh, this dude's terrible. She, uh, why is Tracy friends with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a tough uh, That's a tough character to almost even believe. Everything seems nice. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. She's yeah. beautiful. I'm a cop. A cop? No, <laughs> thank you. What? What? What are yeah. you talking about? It'd be great to have a cop. There's people just not liking cops oh, in this movie, man. you know? So... There is a little bit of Ron Silver's storyline continuing after this scene, if I remember correctly. I'm probably not leaving out anything too important. He's just out walking in a downpour, right? Oh, yeah. Like crazy people do. Yeah, but he's still got that vibe of 
wealth. He's uh, he's sure. a Wall Street guy. You know, he's this is just maybe what he does, or he doesn't want to take a cab. I did like that. Even you know, even in a complete downpour in New York, if you you know if you're in a car and somebody's walking across the street when it says "Do not walk," you'll roll down your window to yell at them. Because <laughs> I mean, it is. It is like monsoon raining, and I'm just like, well, that guy's going to get soaked just rolling down his window. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. But, so we know Ron Silver's got the gun, Tom Sizemore's gun, right? He creeps up on an old guy and blows that dude away, right? Am I missing a beat in there? You're missing one tiny beat. Before he went for the walk, I think, right? He starts uh, etching her name into the bullet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Forgot about that. Good call. Kind of creepy. Kind of creepy. Nice little, little detail. A little creepy. Not the best way to meet ladies. Yeah. And so, same night, same sequence, Jamie Lee goes out into this rain, correct? Yeah. That's the same night, isn't it? I think so. It rains a lot in this movie. It's hard to keep... <laughs> I was never completely sure of the timeline, but we'll get to that later because it comes into play with something with Clancy Brown later on. But she ends up sharing a cab with ron silver mm -hmm. you know he basically positions it as like yo look it's pouring out here you've got to get in this cab like yo just come in and she gets in i think you know i buy that right he seems sure. nice enough you're just taking a cab it's pouring there'll be a driver in there he seems nice he's got multiple jackets on it's crazy he looks like a poor man's andy garcia what's mm -hmm. not to love about that no so you get in a car with him uh they have some conversation i will say Despite everything I, I said earlier about the Sizemore robbery scene, I did not spend this moment when they're in the cab together wondering, how does she not recognize him? What the hell? This is ridiculous, you know? Right. It, it didn't bother me at that point. I, I, I went along with it. We know that, uh, well, I guess, do we know? Okay, this is a good question. Do we know at this point that he recognizes her? Definitely, right? I certainly assume so. I don't think we get the shot of him like, him seeing her without uh, her seeing him necessarily. Yeah. That really plays that off. But I, I assume he has orchestrated this somehow. I mean, he's writing her name on a bullet. So yeah. last time I did that, I knew exactly where the lady was. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we weren't going to talk about her. I can't stop thinking. Okay. He invites her to dinner. Yeah. In the middle of the cab ride. In the middle of the cab ride. And she yeah. accepts. Would yep. you accept? Greg, I thought about that too. Yeah, uh, and like this girl that you that you wrote her name in the bullet, did she accept? <laughs> well, uh, yes, and that's what made me feel sort of silly. Okay, yeah. I thought, well, I could have just asked her. <laughs> uh, this is this is going bad. Okay, yeah, we'll stop that fantasy. Yeah, what do you think about that? Um, her accepting? I mean, is that a thing that not happening in a movie today, or may, or I don't know? How do, where do we where do we fall on that? Strangely enough. I, I feel less weird about her accepting the offer to go to dinner with him uh -huh. than I do about him asking her in the middle of a cab ride somewhere because the traffic is bad. Let's just go have dinner. Yeah. And it's not, it's not even that it's a bad idea. It was just, <laughs> it was like, it's, holy shit, like traffic is really fucking bad. It was. Just, yeah. Let's just have I a mean, completely was, different evening because. Yeah. But, you know but, what? Actually, uh, yeah. sorry, before we get to you know what bothered, what I kept thinking about that I didn't believe? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got soaked to the bone out in that rain. 
and then they just roll up into this fancy ass oh, restaurant. Yeah. Like I would have like Subway would have been like the top of my restaurant list looking like that. <laughs> like that's and I don't you know, I don't consider myself to like look decent in most instances, but I would not have been going into that yeah, restaurant. They, they don't look soaked in the restaurant <laughs> no, too that not I, terribly. I didn't think about that. Not terribly. No. But yeah, again, like he seems nice enough. I think this this is after no, this is before he shoots the guy. So they haven't found any bullets or anything. But she's been reprimanded. She's like, her life is going to hell anyway. Yeah. And then this nice rich guy is like, you seem nice. Let's go have dinner. Yeah, I'd probably say yeah. Yeah. It's very Fifty Shades of Grayish if you've if you've seen or read at least the first one. That's as far as I got. Oh, I've read it. Okay. <laughs> I thought so. But yeah. He comes in, he whines, he dines. I think... Um, so she comes home from this event... And internal affairs show up at her house, wake her up uh, in the middle of the night. At, it's like, you got to come with us. Clancy Brown delivers the news that her name was on the bullet that killed the old guy, right? Yeah. We should take a second to just say, Clancy Brown, you probably know from Shawshank mm-hmm. as the evil guard. In this movie, however, imagine Howard Stern without sunglasses a blonde Howard Stern. I don't know how Clint Clancy Brown didn't didn't get to play Howard Stern or something. Yeah, I mean, like literally, that's like all I could think. Like, there's some moments where he's just like looking in the camera, almost at the camera. I'm just like, this is. I, I expect him to start talking about Beetlejuice to me or something. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this scene because now the plot thickens. Uh, her name is on the bullet. Something's going on. Someone is obsessed with her. Okay, some to the people in command now. This somewhat validates uh, what she was saying about this robbery, that there was a gun. And now that maybe there's someone who has a crazy attachment to her and is trying to get her in trouble. And somehow they start asking, are there ex-boyfriends, current boyfriends, anybody that she could think of that would do that? And then somewhere in that scene, she's made detective. (laughs) Yeah. and, and And it's a way to be able to protect her, I guess. Okay, because I, I didn't, I don't know if I was making notes or something. I get that Clancy Brown didn't want to do that. They're, they had a bit of the power struggle there with the uh, Kevin Dunn character, um, who's, I think, the assistant chief. So mm-hmm. he's the, the ranking superior. And it's like, okay, but she's your department, not mine. And so it's sort of like he's stuck with her. But then it was like, well, yeah. Okay, but does she? I mean, she gets a detective badge. <laughs> yeah, that's like a. She's been a cop for like three weeks. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing. Is like, is this day three on the job? Like, I wasn't sure. Like, <laughs> how much time has passed here? Is this? She's doing all right here. Yeah. So somewhere around here, this is the stuff I do like about this screenplay. You get a lot more Ron Silver than I expected. You know. Yeah, just being with Ron Silver on his own. Yeah. How did you like, A, the character and the performance? Let's just talk about this for a bit. Because I think this is really when we start seeing him lifting weights and talking to himself. And this is the first sort of clear indication that this guy, they're not kidding when they say psychopath in the IMDb synopsis. (laughs) He is. And uh, what do you think about this? Because obviously this is something we've seen lots of times before. How does this one fit in with all the psychomaniacs that you've seen before, Craig? Yeah, you know, I mean, I kind of felt like it wasn't bad. It was really close to going over the top. Yeah. 
But at the same time, it felt like, yeah, that's probably close to what someone, you know, a schizophrenic maybe, uh-huh. hearing voices and so on. That That's kind of probably how they act when they have an episode. Yeah. Like that's not, it's not completely destroying that world uh, in terms of like, yeah, like, like, uh, well, I don't know who, who'd, who'd be a good example of something that was kind of like, like way too over the top. I don't know. Honestly, I'm even thinking about Psycho and I'm like, that's probably pretty close to somebody who's going <laughs> to... Yeah. I don't but, know. I mean, there's a lot, a, a lot of examples, obviously. What was the, um, the Abel Ferrara movie we watched, the podcasting them softly guys? Oh Yeah. Fear City. Fear City. That's right. I was tr- trying to remember uh, the beats of that sort of like psycho guy and that movie. And I think it's less about that character in that movie than the others. But yeah, I don't know. I remember something about it, obviously, not completely standing out to me since I don't remember now. Whereas right. I, I do feel like I'll, I'll remember at least a performance in this. I got to say, because like Ron Silver isn't necessarily an actor I know a ton of. Right. I thought he really kind of sold it. Absolutely. You know, as grounded as Jamie Lee is in this thing, I do feel like they kind of went out of their way to find that line that you're talking about, like of not going so overboard, but still being right there to be like enough to make you think like this guy is dangerous and crazy. I mean, there was was the prostitute that he killed that he took the bloody sweater and was like rubbing it all over himself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Up on the oh, roof? God. Yeah, up on the roof. He takes Jeez, his clothes yeah. off. Like that scene, man, That I feel like that like on its own was like, that's pretty damn good it, yeah. for this type of thing. I mean, that's that's a memorable moment and it's creepy and it feels almost like Red Dragon-y, Manhunter-y a little bit. Like it, it, it was enough where I'm like, because the, when he kills the old dude, right? To me, it felt like that's the first time he's doing this. Right. Did you have that indication? Yeah. Okay. Like, like, like the gun opened something in him. Yes. In fact, he says that right later on. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, you're still not sure in that moment. What the fuck? Why is this guy doing this? Like, what is he just getting his jollies off or what? Yeah. And I thought it might be that. It's just like, okay, here's this like Bateman American Psycho character who is like, you know, just drenched in greed and this lifestyle. And what else is there? Like, what's the thing above, you know, having all the money available? It, it's murder, <laughs> yeah. which uh, it's not the case. No, he he is genuinely crazy, and he he's talking to himself, and that has to be that's got to be a tough thing to do as an actor, right? Like, how do you like? I always complain about whenever there's a scene of anybody talking to themselves in a mirror. I've don't know I've ever done that in my life, right? Yeah, I think we've talked about it on this, show. and like so this is I mean that's it's sort of a version of that, but at least you have the motivation of oh you're crazy. But that's no motivation at all. That's harder. And so I thought he did a damn good job with all that stuff. Yeah, that bloody sweater scene was nasty and creepy. And then they go on a second date, right? And I don't remember the exact circumstances to get to that second date. But I think that is when they go out to dinner and Jamie Lee is happy. And like it's one of the few things in her life that's making her happy. I think we've had some stuff with the parents before this. Mm-hmm. And we find out that, you know, the mom, yeah, I think she shows up to the work, but you find out that yeah, her dad hits her mom. Mm-hmm. And that's been a thing probably for a very long time. And so, and she says something about, like, I just can't imagine being much higher. And he's like, I don't Do you remember what he said? What well, was his, like, it was like the perfect reply, right? Oh, God, <laughs> I like, don't know. Uh, 
do you want to try or something? I don't know. Anyway, like cut to they're flying in a helicopter. <laughs> they're taking a helicopter ride above New York at night. So romantic. Yeah, it is this romantic thing. That's, I mean, you got to take things up a notch, you know, if you're going to get Jamie oh, yeah. Lee. They come back to his place, I believe, and they start making out. He realizes that she's carrying, she's got her gun on her. I'm not entirely sure why she has her gun on her. Is it because, well, you know, I guess if your name shows up on a bullet and you're a cop, you, 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 I guess you just carry a gun around, right? Like, right. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. I'll buy that. Well, That's I mean, fine. I mean she, she's a detective. Yeah. She is like, a detective. She's on the floor, right. so she can, she can be armed. and. Yeah. This is, I think, the first time that she starts getting bad vibes from Silver. I felt that was like the right time in the movie for that to happen, you know, because I, yeah. I feel like that had to be a question that they dealt with is like, okay, well, how long does the audience know that this guy's crazy that, you know, while Jamie Lee does not, you get a lot of juice out of that, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. But you can also get a lot of repetition out of it too. Yes, for sure. And yeah. so I, I felt they handled that well. I thought that moment was good. And I thought the discussion was really interesting too. I mean, like he's, asking her basically demanding that she hold the gun while they're making out and she clearly does not really want to do that as, <laughs> as i imagine one would not unless they're really really super kinky and she does this and he backs up and he wants her to point it at her and it's in that moment correct when he reveals that he was at the robbery right yes and that he took the gun. I think and she figures out very quickly that he took the gun. Does he have it then? I can't remember. Damn no. It. Okay. Because he, he wants her to point her gun at him. Yes. And he kind of mimics it. Yes, because he's like, do the two-hand thing. Like, oh, you've been trained. You know, it's basically recreating that moment. And he's like, yeah. holy shit, you know, you did it. That's you. And uh, again, I thought his delivery was just so good and weird and if i'm not mistaken like this is when he does his single tear moment and he talks about has that line he says like death is the greatest kick of all that's why they save it for last there's no mistaking it for her that he is off his rocker and i think is that when she arrests him or no yeah, well, she points the gun at him, and she starts reading him his rights, and she calls for backup, and, and they come and get him. But is it because, does he admit to killing the old dude, or or what? He, he says, ah, man, yeah, what is it? I'm trying he to say, freaking well, remember. Can, can, he, he, say, he says just enough where she can't, because they ask her, did he say that he shot yeah. these people? And she's like, no, he didn't say that. But like everything else he said, you know, it, it was it was sort of clear that he must be the guy who's so obsessed with her that he's writing yeah. things. And, and you know, he, he does say, like, I was there the night of that shooting. And, like, clearly that's where the gun must have gone, you know. But he didn't actually say he did those things. Right. And, uh, I mean, it was clear to me in the moment. Like, I felt like, oh, yeah, obviously arrest this guy. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's what you do. You're a cop. Like, you got all the motive in the world. I don't, but I, I'm sorry. I don't remember the exact specific detail. But by this point, it's already, like, it's been established that you have news footage that, you know, there's it's basically the world on the street and around town is that there is a serial killer out there killing right. these people. So he's taken in, boom, Richard Jenkins plays his lawyer, shows up. The jank. Like he is not taking 
any bullshit from any cop, you know. Yeah. And like it's it's kind of good because everything he's saying, it's like, oh shit, yeah, he's right. Like there Jamie Lee can't like produce any evidence that this guy said these things right. and is doing these things. Not only is Ron Silver gonna get released, they can't hold him, but now Jamie Lee's in more trouble with the force, basically, and it's just a matter of who is going to believe her. Unfortunately, I think Clancy Brown does at this point, right? Right. Mostly he's on board. I, I feel like he's kind of in the camp of, like, there must be something here. Yeah. W- whether it's exactly what she's saying it is or not, like, there's something here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he probably doesn't like the fact that, yeah, just because this guy is some rich guy, we all have to pretend like he would never do something like this. Yeah. Whereas everybody else is like, oh, let's not mess with him. He's a, he's a rich guy. Right. I felt like it was after this moment where the movie got repetitive to me. Yeah. It just felt like, okay, well, here we go. Ron Silver is going to do these increasingly horrible things and just not end up in jail. Like, like it shouldn't take this much, you know. And the yeah. big one is Tracy, Jamie Lee's friend. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think Jamie Lee had gone over to see her. They're heading out of her apartment. Ron Silver, and it's like it felt extremely quick to me this happening after he's been released from jail, right? Yeah, like I thought there would be like some downtime, you know, or something, or just like he'll be Cape Fear, like stalking and taunting her while she can't do anything about it and can't arrest him. But no, no, he shows up behind them in the hallway and grabs Jamie Lee, you know, around the neck, points a gun at Tracy, and blows her away. Here again is where I felt like the style just kills the realism a little bit, right? And I say this like I like the style of this scene, you know. Right. She goes in slow motion a lot in these moments, and it's fine. But after this scene, we get another thing with Jenkins. Her her best friend has been killed, and Jamie Lee Curtis knows who did it. Yeah. But Jenkins is like, you said he came up behind you. Did you see his face? Can you prove that Eugene is the one that shot her? And it's just kind of like taken a value that she can't. But there was nothing in that moment where I had the feeling that she's not seeing his face. I mean, right. he's like his head is right beside her head. Exactly. How would she not be able to do like a you know a positive ID? Like she knows who it is aside from his voice because she saw it, right? Right. Maybe I've just seen too many damn crime scenes. Like, well, wouldn't they like? Could they not test? Eugene for powder burns and like all the like it, right. but like he shot this woman in a hallway like there has to be some physical evidence that could tie him like does he have an alibi where was right. he during like if you don't have those things like how can they let him go you know it felt like he was being released just for the sake of the rest of the plot just so we could have like 30 minutes more movie right yeah there there, there was a part of me that kind of wished it could have been shot in a way where you didn't see Ron Silver yeah, that would have been amazing. You know, and and I think, and maybe that would have been too confusing too, because then you're like, oh well, is there somebody, some mystery person out there? Right. I don't know, but like, as as viewers, we see the whole damn thing happen, and then for for everyone to be like, oh Jamie Lee's, you're just crazy. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's kind of tough. I, I feel like you're right. Like it is kind of a, it is kind of a plotty thing. And it's also a question of then what happened? Like he kills Tracy, but then he just runs away and he he leaves Jamie Lee. Why why not kill her then? Or, or like yeah, like if he had shot Tracy, 
you know, put the gun in Jamie Lee's mouth and said, I didn't do this. And if you say I did, I know your parents, they're next. So like, you know, which one of your friends is going to die next? That's up to you. I don't know, just like some sort of pressure on her where it feels like she can't talk to her superiors. Like she, I don't know, something there would have, would have helped me a little bit. Well, and I think, I think though it's true. uh, Maybe things were this different back in 89. I don't know, but it does seem like no matter what anyone's saying, if a cop says this guy killed them, it seems like they could do some simple things to be like, to clear him. Yeah. You know? Also, it also feels like, yeah, if a cop says you did something, if a cop says they saw you do something, right? your word versus their word, the odds are against your word. Right. At the very least, the odds are it's got to be investigated a little bit. Yes. Like just a little bit. Yeah, you kind of miss the investigation. Like there is no real investigation yeah. to speak of. Anyway, it is what it is. Again, this is a thriller <laughs> It is about Indeed. a stalker. It's about an obsessive man. And it is not about the investigation. It's about a woman in a man's world. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, and that extends to the parents, which, again, they, they make a, an appearance again because Eugene does show up at their house. You know, Jamie Lee yeah. comes over to find him sitting there. And this is after she's had an altercation with her father and cuffed him because she, you know, he once again has beat his wife her mother and she takes him out and is going to you know basically take him downtown and ultimately decides not to i'm sure there's people that could watch this today and be less sympathetic to that but maybe accuse her of enabling him right when she does have a position of power here and can can literally do something about it because she does work for the police and she chooses not to she basically gives him the if you do this one more time i swear to god line and takes him back home and yeah eugene's there you get the little scene with them. There's nothing, I don't know, like in some ways I felt like that was a missed opportunity a little bit or something that could have happened maybe prior to shooting Tracy that yeah. would have, like it was, it was like usually one of those steps where it's like, oh, this person is moving at a speed of our relationship quicker than I am, you know? It's like one of those little things that happen that's like, oh, this might not be the man of my dreams. Well, yeah, and that's a good question too. I mean, so he shows up at the parents' house, and what is his intention there? What, what do, when you see him there, what do you think his intention is there? I don't know. I, I, I don't think anything really comes from that scene, if I'm not mistaken, other than to make her feel uncomfortable. Right. It's, it's kind of a, an intimidation thing. And, and I guess the thing for me is, like, I, I wasn't clear on his intention either. Like, mm-hmm. a part of me felt like, oh, are you, are you trying to say, hey, don't tell on me. I can get to your parents'. Like, is that what you're saying? Because if you're saying that, then it starts to feel like you're kind of a crazy mastermind criminal or something. Who, like, you have a plot, you have this thing you need to, you know, that that you've planned out, and you don't need this cop getting in your way. So that seems a little weird, but I also don't feel like he was like, hey, we have this great relationship, and isn't it time I met your parents? Like, even in Crazy World, it doesn't seem like that's where he's at. So that, that, that scene, while definitely tense... It kind of felt like it came out of the blue to me. A little bit. And it's also, you know, coming on on the hills of shooting Tracy. I mean, yeah. well, you know, damn well, there's nothing this guy won't do. And, like, even just the way that that scene unfolded where he just literally shows up and shoots her. Yeah. It's not like he spends half of that time pleading with Megan to love him or, or anything like that. And so 
yeah, coming there is like, in some ways, it it does make him a bit more unpredictable because you don't. Maybe that's what they're trying to do is just like show multiple personalities or or what exactly the the time that it's happening in the movie. It does feel very late to not have it be something more. I guess yeah. might have been interesting too if if he had like found out about the father abusing the mind like done something with that information i don't know sure anyway neither here nor there it's after this though you know once he's gone and out of that picture the movie kind of plays it up that jamie lee you know is sort of coming to the conclusion that she is going to have to act alone and there's basically nothing that she won't do to protect herself i think right regardless of what her superiors are telling her. There's a moment where, I'm trying to remember, she follows, does she follow him into the park? She follows Ron Silver into like Central Park somewhere, or he's wandering around, digging in the ground, talking to himself again, looking for the gun, which I, I Maybe I missed him hiding it, but it's clear that he has hidden it in the ground, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And so there's a moment where I think she either pulls a gun on him in the park or she's waiting for him to do something so that she can essentially shoot him, I think, right? Yeah. And Clancy Brown shows up again. And so, he, you know, it's been established in like the middle of the second act here that he's sort of keeping tabs on Megan even though you could ask where was he when Tracy got shot, you know? But we won't. We won't do that. But it's basically setting up the fact that these two are going to work together to catch this guy. You know, they're the last, they're the only two there. And I don't know, man, there was a a moment where they're in the car together and Jamie Lee is really tensed up about this. She knows he's going to do something. And Clancy Brown tells her that she's got to lighten up. <laughs> Even by, you know, trying and, like, repeatedly establishing that, yeah, this is, like, a sexist environment that she's working in. Yeah. I was like, dude, think of everything she's been through, like, in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she has earned the right to be as serious <laughs> as she wants. And I feel well, like you should have some sympathy to that yeah. as her well, superior, you know. He's like the only guy in this entire world who believes anything that she's yeah. saying. And he's still kind of an asshole about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which which unfortunately yeah. I think plays perfectly into the theme of the rest of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Where it's just like, oh, women so emotional. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your friend got shot in front of you, but look. Yeah, and you killed like a guy. That you smile. Know. Yeah. Oh man, that one. Yeah, that caught my attention. I was like, no, no, I don't think that would be played the same today. <laughs> I hope not. But Jamie Lee, I think, spots Eugene, grabs Clancy Brown's hand, mm-hmm. cuffs it to the steering wheel, takes off mm-hmm. on foot after Ron Silver. I liked that moment because it, it comes back again to this thing of she's making assertive decisions but they're not always the right one because she's trying to do things alone. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that fits into the whole theme of it being a man's world. Maybe we shouldn't be applauding that. But I don't know. I, I liked it as a character like dimension and that she's still kind of doing this this late in the movie. For anyway, sure. 
there's an altercation with Eugene. Uh, there's like some extremely loud gunshots being fired. He gets away from her and creeps up on Clancy Brown's car. And he's completely helpless because he's cuffed to the steering wheel. And Ron Silver puts that gun up against his head. And I liked all that stuff. I thought that was a really cool sequence. Yeah. The movie, um, gosh, uh, it takes a weird turn for me after this. Me too. Yeah, okay, yeah. I feel like most people are going to have that reaction. They go through this thing together where it's frightening to both of them. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis has been through everything. You know, They just exchanged gunshots with Ron Silver. He's just pointed a gun at Clancy Brown's head. He's cuffed the steering wheel because of her own actions. So she completely screwed up there and almost got him killed. But somehow they get out of this together. And then, Craig, they kiss. It is 1989. Okay, walk me through this one here. Yeah. Every movie, you basically have to pick a place for the the man and the woman in the movie to have sex. It doesn't matter what the movie's about. (laughs) You've got to figure out a place, and this is the place. This is the place, yeah. I I feel the same way. It's, It's not that I don't want those two to get together. They seem like nice kids. Yeah. I can see a world where they do end up together. Sure. I didn't want them to go back to her apartment and get it on following that event. That felt a little, little soon. That is probably the least believable part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote down, how can she be in the mood? How could she right. be in the and, mood? And him too. Yeah. Sure. In a way, it, it, it just felt like, like thinking about what Jamie Lee Curtis had to think about that day on the set. Yeah. And just like, here, here's my character. Here's what I've been through. Yeah. I think it's a good idea to get involved with another guy mm-hmm. who I think is nice. Like that, I don't know. I feel like that would be the last thing I'd want to do considering how my last relationship went. Yeah. But yeah, but then, and, and that's saying something. So that to me is the most unbelievable thing. I think I, I would agree with you. I think okay. from a character standpoint, that is the most unbelievable thing and all my little nitpickies about like believability of all these people doubting jamie lee curtis that's more of a story thing but yeah character wise again like i i don't think it's just jamie lee and that's like it's not just megan in that instance i just i didn't feel like clancy brown would even do that like there's nothing really about his character that i've seen up to that point that would lead and especially after literally facing death the the possibility of death right you know that he that he would go through with that but what we do have is setting up you know your 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 thriller ending here where it's not just that they come back to her apartment and get it on surprise ron silver eugene has also come to her apartment and is there before they are and he's pulling the shrapnel the bullet out of his arm in her sink right yeah and so he hears them come in he hears them get it on and we're just waiting it's only a matter of time before he's gonna strike and he does (laughs) and oh man uh wow yeah it's almost as if it's almost as if Clancy Brown is punished for being in that scene Yep, where he makes love to our hero after all the shit she's been through and there's zero sex on her mind. Yeah. It's like somebody was like, uh-uh. And I liked that. that shit. I liked that. Yeah. 
Me too. You know, looking back on it, I was like, I feel like I normally would have hated it if they went back to her apartment and he was in the bathroom. Jesus Christ, this guy's everywhere. No, I think they earned that. I think he, they yeah. earned it by by the way that this guy has shown up other places. I, I totally bought that. And then, yeah, I mean. And he's obsessed with her. Yeah. yeah, Clancy walks in that bathroom and ends up taking a bullet in the, in the chest. Yeah. But then after that, oh, man, Ron Silver just goes in and attacks Jamie Lee. And that boy, that had to be a hard scene to film. T- I mean, he, he basically starts raping her. Yeah. As if he's trying to win a contest. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an awkward, odd moment. But it's I I th- I think when someone says blue still to me, five years from now, there will be like a handful of images that pop into my head, and unfortunately, that's going to be one of them because it is yeah. intense and it is awful. I mean, it is it, it is it is it is not a rape scene that is just done lightly. No. Tip of the hat to both of those actors for performing that and making it so crushing if you yeah. will to my soul while i was watching it but yeah and um she kicks him off he flees down the fire escape if i'm not mistaken because the, the sirens are heard they're showing up he takes off was he completely naked through all that or no no I he's got he pants was. on right he had was pants he? on I, I I thought he was okay. Yeah, because I, I did two for a he's second. He's got a gun then, in one hand. I mean, what is he? Yeah. Yeah, and then because there's a whole like, then you just end up like it's a chase. There's a shootout in the street. Was that right by Wall Street too? I was trying to figure that out. It kind of looked. Like I feel it. like it was down there. Yeah, financial district. Again, it's like some cool genre stuff that we all know that Catherine Bigelow is capable of. You know, it's it's a worthy conclusion to this movie. I felt. I think. You know, nowadays, maybe you do a little more with bystanders being in the way, and I think it would have unfolded more quickly. You know, again, like the go-to is is slow motion in these moments, and there's definitely some of that. It makes it feel extended, I think. Well, one of those reviews said something about fever dreams, and like to me, like it's in some of those action moments where, yeah, it does feel like it just takes on this sort of like otherworldly quality in a weird way well that was my feeling at the very end yeah she puts on she puts on the, the uniform and she goes out it's like she's she's hunting him down as a she's cop gonna hunt yeah. him down mm-hmm. and i mean there's no build up to it at all she walks through this shot and when she like walks through it you see that he's right behind her yeah and 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 the final like gun gunfight begins and like there's no there's no like bigger thing leading to it that kind of primes you for it Nope. And there's happening. no uh, no speechifying, if I remember correctly. No. Now the bad None. guy doesn't say his stupid little thing. No. You don't get his ethos explained. There's nothing that he's right. trying to obtain in this world, I think. <laughs> Even his infatuation with her, it's not... I don't know. Like, I never felt through this movie it's just, like, him trying to get her to love him. Like, it's not that. Like, it, it, no, you know, it's a I... different kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it was all like he, he kind of said that stuff in that one scene yeah. where she ends up like you know arresting him, but it was kind of that thing of like, yeah, he's got a serious hard on for this gun, and that whole moment that came together when he watched her murder a guy, yes, and I mean hardcore murder a guy, like yeah, he's she's maybe like just more like a god to him or something that he needs to please or something like that, yeah. A kindred spirit through murder, you know. 
Yeah. I think I prefer that to the oh, yeah. multitude of alternatives, you know, and I, I think it does in that sense, it really helps that ending because it, it can just be about sort of good versus evil and, and wanting yeah. her to triumph in that moment. And of course she does. But then I loved the last shot. You know, it, it's her sitting in a car having gone through this and being rightly affected by it to the point of numbness. And, you know, she doesn't know, like, what's next. And we don't know what's next. We just know that other officers show up and one of them starts to carry her out of this car. Yeah. And that's it. And I, I thought that was a great ending. It was a great way to kind of bring it back to her character, I think, because absolutely, I think she does get lost a little bit. Or again, it's just like repetitive and there's not a whole lot for her to do other than to worry about this guy. Uh, and that's fine. It's a thriller. I think that's what you want. But yeah, really liked that. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's just it's indicative of the entire movie and that there's so many cool, good just solid movie moments like that feel like exactly what you're talking about like a movie it looks like a movie yeah. it's not you know it's got this bigger than life kind of quality to it and then there's all those other little things that might drive you crazy but maybe not i don't know it's just i guess it's like it's one of these movies where it's just like it just it's going to depend on how much you want to forgive them for sure for believability things and, and i think the um that that again that ebert review that you read really primes somebody going into this like if you yep. kind of think of it as a slasher movie that's not a bad idea no nope, not at all you know yeah. that's really not a bad idea like that's it's not it's it's not a diehard it's not a, a cop action film it's nope. not lethal weapon you know it's 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 definitely something different than that so um yeah me too i mean I, that's the thing i mean there, for all the stuff that that kind of makes me wince about it and there's not much stuff no yeah, I, I got to say, I still uh, really enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Anything beyond the sort of woman in a man's world to take away from this? I mean, I don't really feel like it's making a statement about police <laughs> or no. crime for that matter. You know, even in a, at a city like New York, which was notorious at times for, for crime. Right. It doesn't feel like it's of that era. You know, we kind of talked about it in the tee-up a little bit. Oliver Stone is a producer on it. And yeah. like, if this was an Oliver Stone-directed movie, it would have exactly that. Like, it would be mm -hmm. much more a message movie, Yeah, I feel like, you know, whatever it would be about. But no, like, I, I, I don't know that there is more to it than that. I, I think it's sort of enough that it is this type of thriller, like a, a cop thriller from a woman's point of view. Right. You're a woman in this world. And uh, certainly this this is very much what it's like <laughs> to yeah. be disbelieved and diminished and like all this kind of stuff. W meanwhile, like cr the craziest shit in the world is happening to you. Yeah, um, it definitely captures that that feeling and, and puts it across. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know that there's necessarily more than that. But does there need to be? Exactly. Well, I was going to say, I mean, like you're the way you were just talking about this. I feel like you could say the exact same thing about Silence of the Lambs, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in some That's ways, they're, they are one and of the same as far as that is concerned in that setup, which also leads me to ask the question, is this fodder for a remake? That's a good, that is a good question. And if it is, would, it, would you lean into the thriller side or would you attempt to ground it a little bit more? I mean, if I was going to make it, well, I wouldn't make it. 
first of all. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't touch it. I, I feel like now would be the the wrongest time. It would be tough, yeah. Another white guy to make a <laughs> a thriller about ladies. Hey, you know. Of course, I mean, I would make a really good movie. Well, yeah. Hey, Jonathan Demme did it, you know. Well, exactly. Twenty-seven years ago. Yeah. But um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what, what would be improved about it now? I feel like, like, probably, probably it would go a little deeper into yeah. the characters. Maybe deeper into the mental health aspect of it. Uh huh. Maybe deeper into the gun issue of it. There, there's so much stuff in it that, like, now you know, it's cops killing a guy on the job right you know that's in the headlines every day definitely different dynamics but yeah and then you know definitely mental health definitely you know uh what women have to go through in this world to persevere at their jobs and all that kind of shit i mean saying that like part of me would i mean i would not be surprised at all if a movie comes out tomorrow that that deals with with all of this stuff you know because I mean, it's exactly the thing. Like, you've got this movie, and like, what I like about it is that it does sort of show that, uh, you know, my thinking is always like, well, the situation's complicated. Like, it's not just one way or another. And so, mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, that's what I like about this movie is that, like, yeah, it's it's such a great setup for something to have a police officer shoot someone and have to deal with the ramifications of that, and then also showing that, like, yeah, there are real bad people in the world you know and yeah. to have them be put through that ringer like i don't know part of me wonders like if you were doing it now if it would just make more sense if it was you know not like a rookie cop but someone dealing with a person who they had sent to jail i mean that always you know again like cape fear like that right i don't feel like that's ever not gonna be ripe for drama you know sure especially if you put that in the context of yeah, like Black Lives Matter and all the stuff that's going on now, like yeah, what does that look like? You know, when people don't root for the cops and are immediately <clears throat> maybe more prone to not take their side and their word, right? Uh, but then to be innocent and and dealing with you know some psycho, um, I don't know, could be cool, could be cool. There's definitely some stuff there. It would take a very noble, stable hand to guide that story. I think. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not the I'm not the person to do it, obviously, either. <laughs> so, with that said, uh, maybe you should just watch Blue Steel instead of worry about remakes that are coming down the pipeline tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know if you feel like you would. Uh, what's your like recommendation for this movie? Is there a uh, little asterisk that you put beside it, or who do you, who would you recommend this for? I don't know. I mean, I, I figure this is the kind of thing I could recommend to just about anybody. Yeah. Like, hey, do you like Jamie Lee Curtis? Do you like action thrillers? Do you like Catherine Bigelow? Watch this movie. Yeah, I think so. I think it's got like that sort of like general audience vibe to it, definitely, for the thriller yeah. genre. And then I think for sure, like if you're, I mean, yeah, if you're a fan of the look of those movies of that era uh, and that Jim Cameron thing too, I mean, it, it's just got that look to it. Like you should see, you should seek this one out. I think you'll be pleased. It gives you everything. Yeah, uh, you'll be pleased. In terms of the look, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so go check it out. Again, it's on Tubi TV right now. I thought it looked fantastic. That was a really solid transfer. The advertisement yeah. drove me a little bit crazy just because it's the same three ones, but that's okay. Oh, we, yeah. There are worse things in the world. That's how we used to watch movies on TV all the time. We will <laughs> yeah. live. Craig, any last words? Uh, no last words today. I'm just, just a moment of silence for, for Tracy. Tracy. We should give him a okay.
That's good. Yeah, that was pretty good. Hey, come back next time. We're going to tee up another movie and uh, get into the month of June. So, uh, yeah, happy Memorial Day and all that jazz. Talk to you later. Right on. Bye.